This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, in the United States this week, although we're 15 months away from the next presidential election in November 2024, the first debate took place between those who aspire to being the Republican candidate in that election. As everybody knows, Donald Trump is so far ahead of all the other runners, he's 30, 40 points ahead, he didn't bother taking part in the debate and has stated that he won't take part in any of the Republican debates, although that remains to be seen. Mr. Trump was also, last night, indicted again and charged in Georgia. It was a very serious charge. He had a, a, a mugshot taken, and it was indeed another Trump event. He also, while the Republican debate among his rivals was taking place on Fox News, with whom he's falling out, Trump gave an interview to Tucker Carlson, which was very bad news for Fox News and those seeking the Republican nomination, because it is said, and we'll test this in a moment, to have been watched by 231 million viewers. It's a pleasure to welcome Niall Stanich. Niall, of course, is associate editor of The Hill, a very respected Washington newspaper, and he's White House columnist for The Hill as well. Niall, thank you very much for joining us. We know you were on the road this week. You were in Milwaukee, which is in the state of Wisconsin, swing state, and Milwaukee was the venue for the debate, which without Trump's presence was bound to be a bit of a non-event. Yeah, I think that's right. I think his decision to stay away from the debate clearly did two things. One was it reduced the ratings because he is a box office attraction for good or for bad. But the other thing is that it clearly reduced the political salience of the event, Eamon. Yes. Given that, you know, Mr. Trump is like about 40 points ahead in the Republican primary, a debate without him is uh, less politically relevant as as well as less of our ratings hit. So that was a big issue. Yes, now these indictments and these charges, he has four separate serious charges to face. One is in Florida, 
where he had classified documents that he took from the White House. He was asked about this. He gave some back but kept others. And in the end, the FBI had to raid Mar-a-Lago, which is his club and home in Florida, to get what they could. That's a very serious matter. And I think he's been charged under the Espionage Act. He's been charged in Washington because of what happened on January the 6th, 2021. And that's a very serious charge as well. There's a charge in New York. And yesterday, last evening, he went to Georgia, where he is being charged, facing a lot of charges. In total, there are 91 indictments that I can see. Is that correct, Niall? Depends how you define it. There are 91 charges. charges over, yes. I, I, get, I believe it's considered four indictments in the four separate cases on 91 charges. Yes. It's really surreal, is it not, to have, this is the first president in American history to face any indictment. Yes, it's absolutely a bizarre situation, not least because none of these indictments so far appear to have had any negative impact on his standing among Republican supporters. Now, of course, we have to separate out that vote from the vote of in a general election among the overall population with whom he's much, much less popular. But if anything, the indictments so far appear to have helped him solidify his lead within the Republican Party. They have certainly boosted his fundraising at times. And we just saw within the past 24 hours, Eamon, an example of how those two things are linked together. The mugshot, many of your listeners will probably have already seen, from Georgia, where he had to surrender to authorities. Uh, an astonishing image in itself to have a former president in a mugshot. Yes. But no sooner had that been released than his campaign had affixed that image to t-shirts and other kind of merchandise that they were selling for fundraising purposes. So one image around which there are clearly at least two completely different narratives competing. Yes, and we must bear in mind that next year's presidential election with Trump probably going to be the Republican candidate has the eyes of the world firmly watching it because so much hangs on this election in terms of the conflict between Russia and Ukraine, because of China, because of Trump's disdain for NATO and the many, many things that he might do to make the world a much more dangerous place. But you were in Milwaukee, you were at the debate and I, I watched it. I must say it was troubling, not least for the presence on the stage of Vivek Ramaswamy, who appeared to be pitching to be the next Donald Trump. Mm. Can you tell us a bit about him? Because he's new to us. Yeah, he's new to everybody, really, at least as far as national politics is concerned. Vivek Ramaswamy is a 38-year-old uh, entrepreneur. He is clearly positioning himself in a way that aims to be as uh, craven, honestly, to the Trump base as, as possible, at the same time as he's suggesting that he represents a new generation. He has, in political terms, for example, pledged that if he were to be elected president, he would pardon Mr. Trump of any crimes of which Trump had been convicted. Uh, Ramaswamy is uh, an interesting figure in some ways. I mean, as you would guess from the name, he is of 
uh, Indian heritage. He has made a lot of money in the biotech industry. There is some debate or contention around exactly uh, his role because he did found a company and make a lot of money from a company that later uh, went south or where investors lost uh, significant sums of money. And the other interesting thing about uh, Mr. Ramaswamy, at least as far as running in a Republican primary is concerned, is that he is a Hindu, a practicing Hindu. And, uh, you know, the Republican Party is obviously dominated by um, well, Christian conservatives are a major part of the Republican Party, yes. but he seems to have had actually quite a lot of success in uh, sort of linking his uh, religious beliefs to sort of more general and, and to be fair, perfectly honorable religious beliefs about, you know, treating other people compassionately and so on and so forth. My point only being that his Hinduism, at least, appears not to be a, a drag the way some people might have suspected it would be uh, in a Republican Party primary. Now, the candidates were Chris Christie, Asa Hutchinson, Mike Pence, Ramaswamy, and a couple of others who, to us, would be fairly obscure, mm. just to confirm what you've just told us. When they were asked if they would pardon Trump, mm. if they were elected to be president, if in the event of a conviction or convictions in any of these cases he's the four serious cases that he faces, all but two of the participants put their hands up and Swami's hand was up first now. So he's got that right. The others of note who were there, Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey and a former friend of Trump and supporter of Trump. But Christie is the most formidable apart perhaps, well, Mike Pence is the other former vice president to Trump, of course, who, with the benefit of hindsight, we can see was quite courageous to resist Trump's blandishments to really destroy the results of the election, send them back to the States, and in fact, be the catalyst for a coup. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting that both Pence and Christie were on the stage there. Christie, I think the most now aggressively anti-Trump candidate in the Republican race and Pence having the history that you just outlined. One of the most interesting elements in the debate, Eamon, was actually when all of the candidates were asked whether Mike Pence had done the right thing on January the 6th. Yes. And uh, to their credit, most of them said that he had done. Now, there were greatly varying levels of enthusiasm. Uh, Ron DeSantis, for example, who is running second to Trump in almost all polls, uh, although under threat from Ramaswamy, but still running second, was not very enthusiastic, but sort of acknowledged that Pence had done the right thing. Um, other people like Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina were much more emphatic on that point. I find that interesting, Eamon, because as we have said, and as you just alluded to about, you know, whether they would support Trump if he had been convicted and all of that, is that it has been the tendency of the Republican Party in recent years to back Trump, or at least quiet its criticisms of him, in almost any circumstances. So that support for what Pence did in January the 6th was quite striking. The complexity or the confusion, I suppose, is that it came in a debate where Ramaswamy, for example, I think called Trump the best, the, be the greatest president of the 21st century. Um, and 
where there are others who are clearly uh, aiming to sort of siphon off Trump's support without going particularly harshly against him. Yes, the most potent thing of the night from where I was sitting a long way from the action was the fact that Trump had done a pre-recorded interview with Tucker Carlson, Mm. who's been sacked by Fox. Carlson is a dangerous character. He is a broadcaster, propagandist, and he has been a star in Fox for a long time. And you could attribute to Carlson a lot of the popularity that Trump enjoys. They played the pre-recorded interview, I think in competition, which you'll correct me if I'm wrong, Mm. with the debate which Fox had. Mm -hmm. And this is my real point. 231 million are deemed to have watched the Carlson-Trump discussion or interview, if you like. That seems terrifying. Well, it does. Now, there's a couple of things there. One is it certainly got a large audience. There's no question about that, and millions of people will at least have seen a clip of it. Uh, what I would say is uh, our old friend Elon Musk, the, the yes. now owner of Twitter, is engaging in rather sketchy metrics when he measures views of Twitter videos. The Tucker Carlson thing was hosted on X, as it's now called, previously known as Twitter, uh, without wanting to sort of bore people with media data. A- anyone who wa- sees the thing for, I believe, two seconds on Twitter is yeah. regarded as a viewer. Uh, that is not the case, as you're well aware, with television ratings, which tend at a minimum to measure 15-minute increments. I'm not saying that there was a small audience for the Tucker Carlson Trump thing. I think there was a very large audience, certainly numbering in the millions. But that sort of uh, figure that one sees banded around, not least by X and by Elon Musk himself, about 200 million is a fairly specious reasoning on on, uh, that social platform's part, in my opinion. Yes, uh, of course, Rupert Murdoch was the person, he owns Fox, and he was the person more than anyone other person responsible for the rise of Trump more than any other person in the media, that is, and Trump is a media phenomenon. One of the questions Carlson asked Donald Trump at one point was whether his indictment could lead to civil war, and to which Trump responded, I can say this, there's a level of passion I've never seen. There's a level of hatred I've never seen. And that's probably a a bad combination, was Trump's opinion. He talked about his opponents as being, quote, savage animals. They're people that are sick. And he has continued to, to really say the most terrible things about the prosecutors in the cases. For example, he's called them sick. He said in the case of Jack Smith, who is a highly respected attorney who's working for the Department of Justice. He said he was deranged. Is there any movement or pressure on him? I think perhaps it might be from Fannie Willis, the district attorney in Georgia, that he's got to stop calling people judges and lawyers these appalling names and generating hatred against them. It's very dangerous for them. And it's very dangerous, isn't it, for the for justice? 
It is, and it's very dangerous for the country at large. These attacks on the judicial system, on named judges, on named prosecutors, that is uh, very incendiary. It is, of course, in a way, uh, throwing another match into a sort of uh, pool of petrol, as as we have talked about before, Eamon. I mean, the, the civil fabric in this country has become frayed to a very dramatic extent. There are people of different political persuasions living in different universes. And when you have uh, Trump, for example, talk about uh, opponents or critics or or even the justice system as uh, savage animals, I mean, that is part of a dehumanizing process and a dehumanizing rhetoric that can have very dangerous consequences. Um, To your point about pressure on him to stop. Probably the most acute pressure there is from the judge in his DC case, a woman by the name of Tanya Chutkin. And she has suggested that if Trump continues with his antics, that she would want to move more quickly to trial uh, on the argument that his kind of rhetoric could taint the jury pool. Now, whether you could, whether you can get an untainted jury pool with Trump is a whole other question. But that leverage that she is threatening to use is quite considerable, because of course Trump and his legal team want to run the clock out, if possible, at least past the twenty twenty four election, uh, so that he could potentially uh, pardon himself or call the Department of Justice off the federal cases, not the state-level cases, but the federal cases, uh, were he to win the 2024 election. Let me ask you a question about Justice Chodkin that you mentioned there. If she were, for example, to move quickly and hold this trial, which appears the most uncomplicated of any of the trials, early in the new year, if Trump were to be convicted, Does he, in those circumstances, if he's convicted anywhere, have the right to appeal all the way up to the Supreme Court, three of whose members he himself has appointed, a Supreme Court also that has looked very seriously, well, at odds Mm. with many things Americans hold dear? Theoretically, yes, but it would depend at least it should depend on, if he wanted to go to the Supreme Court, on him suggesting that there was a matter of constitutional law or precedent at stake. Now, before he would get to the Supreme Court, and this is actually quite an an important point, Eamon, he would, of course, have the right to appeal, as anyone convicted of of a criminal offence has, in a lower uh, appellate court or court of appeals. Uh, Now, the reason that I say that is important is if he could extend that process past the 2024 election, and he won that election. What he could do in those federal cases I mentioned is instruct the Department of Justice not to contest his own appeal, Yes, which would, of course, be a a remarkable situation and one that would uh, naturally cause and rightly cause howls of outrage and would itself spark a constitutional crisis of a kind. However, even legal experts who don't have much time for Trump, would acknowledge that a sitting president does have the right uh, to tell the Department of Justice, he, he has the power, I should say, to tell the Department of Justice to do what he wants, even though, of course, that would raise enormous questions 
about the politicization of the justice system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Now, if we just pause for a second, Niall, and reflect on what we're witnessing we have here in Donald Trump a former reality TV show host. It was a version of The Apprentice, which people will have seen over here on the BBC, who has acquired enormous political power and who appears to be walking his country into a nightmare, if it's not already in it, which is in part racist in part nationalist, in part isolationist. He has met with the ruler of North Korea, for example, which was a very important and significant step that other presidents had not been prepared to do. In your observation and the conversations you and others have, is there a feeling that this man could do very serious damage and arguably has done very serious damage to the United States of America and to the to its image and to its reality. Yes, there isn't really any question, I think, that he has at the very minimum accelerated very toxic trends in American politics. The other point, Eamon, at at risk of stating the obvious, is he has this power or is on the brink of retaking this power because many millions of Americans are willing to vote for him. 
And they are willing to vote for him now in an era that is even different to the bulk of events during his presidency. Because remember that, obviously by its nature, January the 6th happened after he had already been defeated in November of the previous year. And since then, he has had the indictments that we just spoke about. Four indictments, more than 90 criminal charges. If he were elected again with that record, a record that is there for the public to see, it is really quite difficult to uh, articulate or to process what that means for the United States. A, A person whose rhetoric clearly was linked to an insurrection and if that insurrection had been successful, it would have overthrown an election and uh, incinerated the, the peaceful process, peaceful transfer of power. Being elected back to that same position, possibly, is a, a vista that nobody would have envisioned seeing even a decade ago, never yes. mind before that. So it, at, at risk of sounding like a, a broken record, it does really show what unprecedented times we are in and why so many people, and I know including yourself, have really grave concerns about where the United States is headed, separate from whether its policies are liberal or conservative, yes. but more to do with whether it uh, subscribes any longer to basic democratic norms. Has he indicated um, to some extent or hinted or maybe done more than hint that if he were to become president again, he could only serve two terms anyway, but he has hinted, has he not, that if he was in the White House again, he wouldn't necessarily conform and he wouldn't necessarily be prepared to leave it. Yeah, he has said that. I I can't remember whether that was back in the days when he was using Twitter more often or whether he said it at a rally. He did that thing that he often does where... He says something outrageous and then semi-shrugs it off as a joke, but not really. And I think that was one of those situations where he sort of said, I think he literally said, maybe I'll never leave or something to that effect, Um, which is, of course, you know, where a Democrat to make that same comment, then many of the people currently defending Mr. Trump would be, you know, up in arms, and, and rightly so, if anyone else made such a remark. Now, the United States is a two-party system. Where is the Republican Party of even George W. Bush, his father, in fact, who was a more moderate man altogether and didn't fall into the clutches of people we needn't talk about now as the way George W. did? Where is that party of Eisenhower, Reagan, even Nixon, Mm. who, for all the infamy that his name attracts, was nothing like this guy we're dealing with now. Where is that party? Is it suffering or is it defeated and demoralized? It's definitely in retreat and has been for several years, really, since Donald Trump began his rise to the presidency. You still see vestiges of it on occasion. You see it sometimes in the so-called Never Trump movement. 
You see it in people like Liz Cheney, who came out very strongly against him as a sitting congresswoman. But of course, for her trouble, she was then annihilated in a republic, wiped out by a massive margin to a Trump-endorsed candidate. You still saw it even at the edges of the stage during the Republican debate. I mean, the, the... person who is maybe most emblematic of that tendency you're talking about of a sort of old-style conservatism is a guy called Asa Hutchinson, the former governor of Arkansas. He is, I think, a a kind of George H.W. Bush type Republican, sort of mild-mannered, pro-business, seems quite appalled by Trump. Uh, Asa Hutchinson is polling at around 1%. That's why he was at one of the lecterns closest to the wings of the stage. <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's very difficult to imagine him sustaining his campaign uh, for very long. It's certainly not any serious threat to Trump or to anyone who is pro-Trump. Now, just a final question. We know that Trump is a long, long way ahead of his rival's to gain the nomination to run as a Republican candidate. What are the polls showing if he becomes the Republican candidate and he runs against Joe Biden? To all intents and purposes, they're showing a dead heat. Now, there are, I guess, maybe slightly more polls that are slightly pro-Biden than slightly pro-Trump. But when those polls are conducted, Biden's advantage tends to be in the two or three or four percentage point margin. This far out, you know, you wouldn't want to be relying on that to say the very least. No. It would in essence be, as they say here, a jump ball, be a 50-50 shot if Donald Trump were nominated by the Republican Party and President Biden, as he almost certainly will be, were nom- would be nominated by the Democratic Party. And finally, Niall, is it your view that any of these four trials will take place before the election? And is it possible that, for example, what looks on paper to be the the simplest in that there's just really one charge Mm. and uh, six unidentified co-conspirators, that is the charge in Washington about January 6th. Mm. Can he run as a convicted person? And can he run from a jail cell? Technically, yes, there is no bar against it. The Constitution sets conditions for presidency, and the Founding Fathers, I don't think, had necessarily entertained the idea of of somebody running from a jail cell. So there is no bar to it. There is no evidence, as we have been talking about, that the Republican Party electorate is balking at such a possibility. I would say the caveat is, would a conviction bog him down or become such a millstone with the general public that the Republican Party would eventually turn away from uh, backing him. I'm not convinced that's the case. I think their loyalty to him runs deep, but it is a, a theoretical possibility. Okay, Niall, as always, we're very grateful to you for joining us from Washington. Niall is associate editor of The Hill newspaper, and he will be absolutely essential to us and our understanding of what's happening to the United States of America as we move towards the 2024 presidential election. Thanks to Niall. Thanks to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.